the light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine Welcome Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoyne. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. TalkCatholic.com with Tim Kilcoyne. Happy Easter. <laughs> yes, sirree. It still is, ladies and gentlemen. And I delight in reminding people that Easter tide is very similar to Christmas tide, only this one goes 10 days longer. 50 days from Easter to Pentecost, which we celebrate tomorrow. Come, Holy Spirit, sooner than later. And now the Holy Spirit will take us onward. And speaking of onward, I just like to say to the world from the housetops that the church in the world just lost a monument of God's grace. His name was Brother Alphonsus Maria, slave of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, an original Father Feniite who lived and died on the great teaching, no salvation outside the Catholic Church. Brother never yielded an inch in believing that the Catholic Church and faith is it. And he was most unique, ladies and gentlemen. I, he was my number one spiritual mentor of many years. And I could call him up virtually any time to get the right answer. More so, he was a friend. Not easy to come by with the clergy, for us laity. And a listener to your woes. And I will miss him terribly regarding both the desire for truth and the desire for a listening ear. Brother was unique as a member of the clergy. In fact, he was thoroughly free market enterprise oriented, which makes him most unique amongst the clergy, I'm sorry to say. He was a regular guy that knew the risk taking of business. And he also was entrepreneurial with regard to the promotion of the Catholic faith. And anyone was his customer. He was like no other in our time, I will say that bluntly, as an evangelist. And like all holy, he therefore suffered the slings and arrows of too many amongst his own. And I hope and pray that in time, his holiness will be recognized exactly for what it was, heroic virtue. In fact, Brother used to talk often about a wound that wouldn't heal. And knowing brother's humility, it doesn't take much to consider maybe he had the stigmata. Something to look into? That's the kind of guy he was. I'm going to miss him terribly, ladies and gentlemen. Please pray to him for your intentions. Okay. I was just in the process of the last two months of Easter Tide. I've been going through my Easter movie marathon, and two of the movies that were done in recent years, The Final Inquiry and Risen, and I would highly recommend both of these movies where you really get a picture, a very realistic, imaginative picture, and not so imaginative. I'm sure this took place. What happened when Pontius Pilate and company discovered that the body was missing. The state never likes it when it's defied. I'm sure those apostles 
were on the run and hiding big time. And these movies are very much focused, especially Risen, very much focused on the hunting down of our apostles and bringing a Roman tribune, Clavius was his name in in Risen, uh, to faith as he saw the death of our Lord and then later saw him before the ascension with the apostles and changed his life for sure from hunter to hunted and similarly in the other movie the final inquiry it's also about a roman tribune titus valerius who's on a mission to find the body of jesus on the command of tiberius caesar who was being haunted about what happened and this was a beautiful unique story really a love story where he fell in love with one of the new jewish converts to christianity followers of the way they were called at that time and in the course of their somewhat rocky romance because her father very much of the jewish law and wanted nothing to do with a roman he was in pursuit of peter because his girl was in trouble physically and she in fact was on the door of death and in fact died and so he didn't know what to do but she told him to go find the apostles and so he he did so and he finds peter and begs him to go and visit his girl and saint peter was resistant at first because of the hunting down of the apostles but eventually went and cured her her name was tabitha from the scriptures so two great movies that again and let's not forget the old movies such as barabbas and the robe a little later than that peter and paul and then the Apostle Paul, all very realistic descriptions of what really happened back then. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I just got a text this evening as I'm doing this show telling me, giving me the early warning. Out in Arizona, the Wokesters are now determined to drive Christians out of the schools from teaching. And we think we're not in first century Christianity. I never thought I'd live to see this day, but we're here, so we stand up or we go down. It's an age-old story. Can we make our Lord proud, and the Holy Spirit especially, and rise to our responsibilities for civilization? And with that, may we rise with the venerable bead, for this is Saint of the Month, and that is the man who I will proceed. And we'll get back to, by the way, part two of my interview with LifeSite News, John Henry Weston, next week, next Saturday, part two, Definitely don't miss it. It was a great hour-plus chat that I had with John. And then we'll be back to our book review the following week. So let us begin. The Venerable Bede, or for us, Saint Bede. And by the way, he's the patron of English writers and historians. He was born in 673 and died in 735. A quick snapshot bio was that Bede was born, and this is from Catholic.org. Bede was born near St. Peter and St. Paul Monastery at Wearmouth, Jarrow, England. He was sent there when he was three and educated by Abbots Benedict, Biscop, and C. Alfred. He became a monk at the monastery and was ordained when 30, and except for a few brief visits elsewhere, spent all of his life in the monastery devoting himself to the study of scripture and to teaching and writing. He is considered one of the most learned men of his time, and a major influence on English literature. His writings are a veritable summary of the learning of his time and include commentaries on the Pentateuch and various other books of the Bible. His best-known work is Historia Ecclesiastica, a history of the English church, 
and its people, which he completed in 731. It is an account of Christianity in England up to 729 and is a primary source of early English history. Called the Venerable to acknowledge his wisdom and learning, the title was formalized at the Council of Aachen in 853. He was a careful scholar and distinguished stylist, the father of English history, the first to date events, Anno Domini, A.D., and in 1899 was declared the only English doctor of the church. Again, he died in Wearmouth, Jarrow on May 25th. His feast day is May 25th. Bede was one of the greatest teachers and writers of the early Middle Ages and is considered by many historians to be the most important scholar of antiquity for the period between the death of Pope Gregory I in 604 and the coronation of Charlemagne in 800. In 1899, Pope Leo XIII declared him a doctor of the church. He is the only native of Great Britain to achieve this designation. He was also a skilled linguist, translator, and his work made the Latin and Greek writings of the early church fathers much more accessible to his fellow Anglo-Saxons, which contributed significantly to English Christianity. Everything that is known of Bede's life is virtually contained in the last chapter of his ecclesiastical history of the English people. In Bede's 30th year, about 702, he was ordained to the priesthood. In his own time, Bede was well known for his biblical commentaries and for his exegetical and other theological works. The majority of his writings were of this type and covered the Old Testament and the New New Testament. Most survived the Middle Ages, but a few were lost. It was for his theological writings that he earned the title of Dr. Angelorum and why he was declared a saint. Bede's works include commentary on Revelation, commentary on the Catholic Epistles, commentary on Acts, reconsideration on the book of Acts, on the Gospel of Mark, on the Gospel of Luke, and homilies on the Gospels. At the time of his death, he was working on a translation of the Gospel of John. And again, declared a doctor of the church in 1899 at the Vatican by Pope Leo XIII, and his feast day, May 25th, the patron of historians. Let us now turn to some of the quotes of the Venerable Bede. And by the way, I couldn't do total justice to the breadth and scope of this man's learning as a poet, as a historian, as a scientist, a linguist. This man was the ultimate Renaissance man before the Renaissance. So do do a historical dive into virtually the founder of history. When they say the monks saved civilization, they are very much referring to the Venerable Bede. These were indeed called the dark ages of church history, and the passing on of all learning was so necessary for there to be a rebirth later. He is so much at the root of that resurgence. Now, let's hear from the Venerable Bede. From the website, azquotes.com, one of the quotes he's most famable for, I was no longer the center of my life, and therefore I could see God in everything. Oh boy, can we not all listen to that one? You mean the world doesn't revolve around me and all that I do? And everything that I'm involved in is most important. This is the beginning of wisdom here, that we can get beyond being a little too much of ourselves. And this goes for people in ministry as much as anybody. And recognize what St. Thomas recognized at the end of his life when he made the comment after having a, a little bit of a glance, it seems, of the beatific vision. He said everything that he did was all straw. I'm quickly reminded of the great Jesuit father, Walter Sizek, S.J., who made the comment that, and whose cause for canonization is up, I didn't know what faith was until I was sent into exile. And by the way, it probably should be said that 
the natural psychology of feeling like you are the legitimate center of everybody's attention would be childhood. That's okay. You know, you deserve the birthday party. But it's the tragedy of growing older and not wiser and wanting to stay that way that becomes the real impediment to our spiritual progress. The next quote. Here's a quote that we need to get to the mass media. If history records good things about good people, the thoughtful hearer is encouraged to imitate what is good. If it records the evil of wicked people, the godly listener or reader is encouraged to avoid all that is sinful and bad and to do what he knows to be good and pleasing to God. Sounds like moral common sense to me, and yet clearly that's not the point and motive of so much of the messaging coming from the wicked media of our day. This is not the very somber and sober passing on of objective truth to us about virtually anything. We virtually only hear about the wicked things by wicked people passing itself off as reality. This is the way people are now, and we're supposed to get along and accept them. More importantly, become like them for fear that they might have a tissy fit. No sense of the basic dichotomy, age old, of right and wrong, good and evil. That's what's so frightening about the times in which we're in right now. The utter avoidance of that possibility, which is so obvious. Venerable Bede could have been the founder of true objective journalism, the kind that we virtually don't get anywhere except from authentic Catholic radio, TV, and internet. Indeed. Venerable Bede says, All the ways of this world are as fickle and unstable as a sudden storm at sea. Boy, we need to hold on to that in the light of the last three years. Or as another priest friend of mine said, as he was going in for a very serious surgical procedure, it's all passing, Tim. This too will pass. So just hold, buckle down the hatches and hold tight because we will get to the other side, ladies and gentlemen. It's still called the triumphant heart of Mary. On the way. Venerable Bede, I have devoted my energies to the study of the scriptures, observing monastic discipline and singing the daily services in church. Study, teaching, and writing have always been my delight. There you go. What should I do, Lord? That's a pretty good regimen for everybody's life, no matter who you are, what age. Study those scriptures. Have a regimen, a holy routine over your home. We may not be in a monastery, but remember the domestic church is your family. And in fact, there is a, there's a book on that all about using the Benedictine rule for your home. And singing the daily services in your house. Study, teaching, and writing. In other words, getting quiet with the Lord. Critical. In an age of noisy mania, the culture of noise. Here's a very interesting for interpretation. While the Colosseum stands, Rome shall stand. When the Colosseum falls, Rome shall fall. When Rome falls, the world shall fall. Hmm, hate to be diving into this with a sense of our United States, but I think there's a little bit of a connection here between the evil of the Colosseum 
and the state. And they may think they've got a long haul up ahead, but in fact, they're going down. And unfortunately, they could take an awful lot of people with them. The world shall fall. If we lose our constitutional liberties founded, well, it could be lights out for the world because we are indeed the last bastion of individual liberty. And yet, maybe it's all necessary for the light, his light, to come on. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. We'll return to our book review, You Shall Stand Firm, with Father William Casey. In our last session, we heard Father Casey saying that the parish was supposed to be the primary place for the flock to get fed. And when our Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he meant it, which means you have to speak truth to evil at church so that everybody can do a nice cross-examination of conscience upon leaving. And in any event, when you don't and there's a void, you know who fills that void with insanity. And recently, there's just been a host of issues that are in that category. Father William Casey now addresses marriage. In his August 2015 papal letter to the 133rd Supreme Convention of Knights of Columbus, Pope Francis said, quote, Elevated by the Savior to the dignity of a sacrament, marriage is, in the Creator's plan, a natural institution, a lifelong covenant of love and fidelity between a man and a woman, directed to their perfection and sanctification, and to the future of our human family. The support of the truth of marriage is a duty for all the lay faithful. Pope Francis continued, Because marriage is essential to the wise and just ordering of society. The title of this chapter is, What Do You Know About Marriage? I chose this title precisely because that is the question priests are often asked by liberals, secularists, radical feminists, modernists, and whatever you may choose to call them, and they like to point this question at us like a gun. Over the years, their attitude has been something like this. What do you know about marriage and sex? You're a priest, a male celibate. Who are you to try to tell us anything? Almost half a century after the start of the so-called sexual revolution, anyone with intellectual honesty can look back with 2020 hindsight and spot the obvious social and moral disintegration that has rocked the Western world. The rampant divorce, the infidelity, the explosion of sexually transmitted diseases, the family breakups, and all the emotional and psychological devastation that go with them, the cohabitation, the same-sex unions, and the serial polygamy are all things that Pope St. Paul VI prophetically predicted in his 1968 encyclical, Humani Vitae. I think by now, priests ought to be asking the secularists and modernists the same question. What do you know about marriage? What do you know about the nature and purpose of the essential properties of marriage? The answer to that question is now painfully obvious. It is abundantly clear that they know little or nothing. When I was visiting New Orleans, Louisiana a while back, I saw a front-page article in the newspaper with a headline that read, In the United States, I don't has now replaced I do. Married couples are in the new minority. Here is the first paragraph of that article. Married couples whose numbers have been declining for decades as a proportion of American households have finally slipped into a minority. 
according to an analysis new census figures by the New York Times. The American Community Survey released this month by the Census Bureau found that 49.7%, or 55.2 million, of the nation's 111.1 million households in 2005 were made up of married couples, with and without children, just shy of a majority. Do you understand that all of us have a grave moral obligation to defend the cause and the sanctity of marriage? With the possible exception of the church itself, marriage is the most attacked, denigrated, and undermined institution on the face of the earth, and that should not surprise anyone. Nearly every day now, there are sensational scandals in the news, Hollywood celebrities who change spouses like they change cars and old wardrobes, ugly divorces and drawn-out custody battles, and sitcoms making a mockery of marriage and family life. The afternoon soap operas are a veritable celebration of American-style marital infidelity, abortion, fornication, and divorce. A while back, I spotted a cover story in a popular women's magazine celebrating Mother's Day. It was about an actress that they praised as a role model of the modern wife and mother. She was working on her third marriage at the time. She later divorced that third husband. In the process, things between them became particularly nasty and venomous, a situation which the tabloid did not fail to exploit. With each passing day, the traditional understanding of marriage as an indissoluble and exclusive union between one man and one woman is under an increasingly vicious attack in the news and entertainment media, the courts, the legislatures, the universities, and public schools. Now that same-sex marriage has gained widespread acceptance, what's the next logical step? It will be polygamy. It does not take a moral theologian to figure that out, and they are already talking about its acceptance and legalization on social media and in the halls of academic institutions. Worldwide, there is a vain attempt to redefine marriage. However, you cannot actually redefine marriage because God has already defined it for all time. The liberals are going to wreak havoc with this for a time, and the church will soon be persecuted over the issue. But there is an old saying, the mills of God grind slowly. That which is against God and nature will slowly but ultimately fail. Catholic Church, along with other faiths that profess belief in the one true God, hold the essential truth that marriage is directly from God. God himself is the author of marriage. Wherefore, a man shall leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be two in one flesh. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. This is God's plan from the beginning. My mind goes immediately back to my first job coming out of college at a Catholic boys' home as a child counselor, supposedly a home for emotionally troubled children. I found out very quickly that definition was upside down because it was really for emotionally troubled parents. In each and every case study of the children, you would see clearly the extreme, sinful, dysfunctional nature of the parents. It was something terribly gone wrong at the nest, and that only puts the children in an unbelievably precarious, jeopardizing, emotionally unstable position, and not fair to them, as our Lord would only say, woe to them who do not take care of the least of these. This is where you get multiple definitions now of what family is, because they couldn't get it right from the beginning. Well, we promise we won't make the same mistake right here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Bayacondios, Brother Alphonsus Maria the Great. We salute thee to Jesus through Mary. God bless everyone. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please 
My number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoyne, TalkCatholic.com. St. Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.